Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine for March 15th, 2023. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. Ryan Reddington has won the 2023 Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race. The 40-year-old Reddington and his team of six dogs cruised down Front Street in Nome at about 12.15 p.m. on Tuesday to claim his first Iditarod championship in 16 tries. He is running. He's off the sled now. He's not even on the sled. He's running behind his dogs, pumping his fists. You see the green and pink booties, Mr. Ryan Reddington in light green, the classic bib number five color. And here he is with six dogs on the line. He's made it the first Iditarod win for Ryan Reddington. The team's official race time was eight days, 21 hours, 12 minutes, and 58 seconds. Passing under the famed burled arch and crossing the finish line at the front of the team were Sven and Ghost. It means everything to bring that trophy home. And yeah, it's been a, a goal of mine since a very small child to win that I did around. And I can't believe it. It finally happened and it took a lot of work, took a lot of patience. But, uh, and we, we failed quite a few times, you know, but we, we kept our head up high and, and, and stuck with the dream. Reddington has deep mushing roots, and this Iditarod win is the first in his family. His grandfather, Joe Reddington Sr., is one of the founders of the Iditarod. His father raced a dozen times. His brothers have also competed. Yeah, we it's been a very dogged life for all of us, and it is very something that we all um, work towards every, every day. No days off. We think about... When and I did run. Ryan Reddington, a father of three now, splits his time between Wisconsin and Knick, where he grew up mushing and playing basketball. Before Tuesday, his highest Iditarod finish was seventh in 2021. In this year's Iditarod, Reddington was near the front of the pack from the beginning. But midway through, as teams arrived on the Yukon River, he was trailing Brent Sass, the reigning champ, and Jesse Holmes. But then Sass scratched, citing a bad cold and pain from three cracked teeth. And Holmes' team faltered later on in the Yukon. That gave Reddington an opening, and he and his dog seized it, putting in monster runs in the last 300 miles of the race. He pulled ahead of 2019 Iditarod champion Pete Kaiser and Richie Deal and left White Mountain with more than four hours ahead of them with just 77 miles to Nome. For his win, Reddington will receive a portion of the $500,000 prize purse and a trophy bearing his grandfather's bust. Six conservation groups filed a lawsuit against the federal government Tuesday, a day after the Biden administration approved of the Willow Project. That's the $8 billion ConocoPhillips oil development located in the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. The lawsuit claims federal agencies violated the National Environmental Policy Act by approving Willow because of its potential impacts to sensitive Arctic environments, subsistence users, and climate change. Tim Woody, spokesperson for one of the plaintiffs, the Wilderness Society, appeared on Talk of Alaska Tuesday. 
Woody said Willow runs counter to the administration's goal to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2020, by 2030. Part of that means we don't commit to long-term massive oil and gas extraction projects that will drastically increase greenhouse gas emissions over such a long period of time. Opponents have termed Willow a, quote, carbon bomb. The 600 million barrels of oil it's expected to produce over 30 years equates to adding 2 million cars to the road each year. Many indigenous groups remain in favor of Willow. Nagruk Harcharek is president of Voice of the Arket in Yupiad, based in Utkiavik. He said on Talk of Alaska, he looks forward to economic benefits in the form of jobs and dividends for locals on the North Slope. Harcherek added, he's confident that the project will not threaten subsistence hunting in the area. The, the subsistence and impact lifestyle that we live is, is, is important. It's, it's the most important for us. So if there was ever a project that we thought would negatively impact that, um, in ways that would be irreparable, we would not be in support of, of that project. The approved version of Willow scaled the project back from five drilling pads to three to reduce potential impacts to caribou migration and subsistence users, according to the Interior Department. Both Hartrick and Woody expect that ConocoPhillips will begin work to ready the new pads for drilling within the next month. The Viking Swim Club is making waves with young swimmers breaking club records from as far back as 1974. Scott Burt coaches the swim team at Petersburg's Parks and Recreation Center. He started during the COVID-19 pandemic and says the team has come far since then. Tori Miller, Grady Walker, and Jackson Zweifel broke eight swimming records this year. KFSK's Shelby... (laughs) I met with Burt to catch up on the Vikings' exceptional season. Okay, Scott, so I see you're doing some math here. Right. How do you account for scores in, is this intramural swimming? What would you call it? So, no, it would be in between clubs, right? So mm-hmm. all private swim clubs are part of the umbrella of USA Swimming. If it's at a swim meet where they are keeping scores, they assign point totals for, like, first place you get eight points and so on down the line. And then they tally up whoever has the most points, and then they see which teams scored and placed. And then they'll do individual top point awards for the age groups and stuff like that. Right on. And, and how does your team fit into that picture? How are they doing this season? They're doing great. Most of the meets and the time trials that we've been on were not scored. It was just a chance for these kids to get in the water, swim against swimmers from other states. But we did recently return from age group championship meet. That was an amazing meet. It was held in Anchorage in mid-February. took 17 swimmers. So I want to say there were 21 teams from across the entire state. This is a meet that is not an open invitation. It is a qualifying meet, so you have to meet certain time standards to go. So USA Swimming in Alaska Swimming provides a goal, if you will, of if you want to swim and compete in this event, you have to meet this time. Out of the 21 teams that were there, our boys got 11, our girls got 6, and as a team, we got 8. So I was very happy with those results. That's exciting, and you broke a couple records, right? Yeah, it's been an amazing year for that. We've had 8 club records broken since the season began, and 3 swimmers that have broken those. Tori Miller has broken club records in the 50 fly, the 
the 100 Fly, and most recently, just last week, the 100 IM. Grady Walker has broken records in the 100 Fly, the 50 Free, and the 100 Free. And Jackson Zweifel has broken two club records in the 50 Breaststroke and the 100 Breaststroke. And most of these records had been on the board for quite some time, since 1974. These are really impressive, impressive young swimmers. That's awesome. And these are Petersburg records, or? That's a great question. Now, these are club records. So these are records that, as a club, we keep track of. We've got a board that you can see out the window there with all of our club records on it. So yeah, so it's it's this is this is strictly for the club. And how long have you been coaching? This is my third year, and it's been an interesting journey. Um, the first year I came on board was COVID. And so, you know, swimming at that time was considered one of the safer sports to do. So we could still have limited time in the water, but we couldn't have swim meets. So we did a lot of virtual swimming. We would compete against other teams, but we never had any, you know, head-to-head swimming. And so the first year or two were different. And I think that this is the first year that it seems like uh, we're back to, quote, normal, whatever normal is. We've traveled to Sitka this year. We've traveled to Ketchikan this year. Those were both open invitations. We hosted November Rain, where teams from all across Southeast joined us. And then, as I just mentioned, we just got back from Anchorage. Congrats on that sharp turnaround. What is virtual swimming, I have to ask? That's a great question. So what we would do is we would have our officials on deck. We would have our timers. But instead of swimming side by side with other swimmers, we would do our competition against ourselves. The other teams would do the same thing. And then we would just combine all the results together as if we were swimming together, even though we we weren't smart and um backtracking a few steps can you tell me a little bit about the different events these kids are breaking records in some of them breaststroke that sounds pretty straightforward but what what was the fly fly type yeah. what, are, what are these terms no sure that's a great question you know we throw these terms around but if you're not familiar with swimming that's a great question so in competitive swimming there are four strokes um freestyle which a lot of people also know as the front crawl there's backstroke there's breaststroke and then there's butterfly and i guess we just get lazy and say fly for short of these what is the most difficult to train for you know they they all have their own unique challenges freestyle is probably most would consider kind of the bread and butter of swimming when kids start learning how to swim that is the primary stroke that we work with along with backstroke all strokes can be technical and no one is born knowing how to swim so there's always a learning curve but those two tend to have have less steep learning curves. The other two, um, breaststroke and butterfly, are technically more difficult to do. Breaststroke is probably technically the most difficult to master, whereas butterfly, I think most swimmers would argue, is physically the most demanding stroke to do. So, I mean, each one is different in in a a different way. Thank you so much for breaking that down. I never would have guessed. You know, and I would say, I, I mentioned earlier that Tori Miller broke the record in the 100 IM, and in a medley race, all four strokes are swung. And so, yeah, you've got to be good in all four strokes to be able to be successful in those. Way to go, Tori. So what's next? Southeast Champs um, is up next for us. It is 31st of March and the 1st and 2nd of April. And this meet will occur in Juneau. This is an open invitational. And so all kids are welcome to show up and compete. And uh, at this point, I'm delighted to say we are taking 28 swimmers. Scott, is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask you today? There is one important thing I want to share with you, and I'm not trying to take away from the records of our three swimmers. It's incredible what they've accomplished. But, you know, 
Being successful in swimming is not always just about breaking records. It's about just improving your own times, whether those times are records or whether those times are not records. And I don't care if you're the slowest swimmer in the pool or the fastest swimmer in the pool, as long as you're trying your best, you're growing, you are improving, not just in your times, but in your discipline, in your, in your confidence in yourself. It's not just always about time. It's about good sportsmanship, about being part of a team. And every one of the swimmers on the Viking Swim Club exhibits that, and I'm proud of all of them. Totally. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. That was Petersburg Parks and Recreation Aquatic Supervisor and Viking Swim Co- Club coach Scott Burt speaking on his season with the Viking Swim Club. Alaska's working age population peaked 10 years ago, and the rate of loss since then has been nearly the highest among all U.S. states, according to the Alaska Department of Labor and Workforce Development. The Alaska Beacon reports that state data shows the number of Alaskans aged 18 to 64 peaked in 2013 and has fallen about 5.5% since then. Only West Virginia and Wyoming had a higher percent of loss during that time. According to the state, there are three reasons for Alaska's decline. Outmigration, the aging nature of Alaska's population, and the large number of deaths during the COVID-19 pandemic. Alaska has had 10 consecutive years of more people leaving the state than moving into it, the longest stretch since such records began after World War II. Alaska aging is driven in large part by the movement of the baby boom generation into retirement, the state said. In 2020, for the first time, there were more Alaskans moving into retirement age than moving into adulthood. They said death has been the biggest factor in the population decline of working-age Alaskans over the last two years. Not all of the deaths in those pandemic years were specifically from COVID-19, but the total number of deaths for the age group was about 40% higher than in pre-pandemic years, according to the state data. Interior Secretary Deb Haaland ended the government's defense of a land exchange agreement that would have allowed the Alaska Peninsula community of King Cove to build a road to reach the all-weather airport. But she committed to a new process and says she really does want to help secure a road through the Izembic National Wildlife Refuge. Alaska Public Media Washington correspondent Liz Ruskin reports. Holland's action starts yet another phase in the decades-long effort by the people of King Cove to get a road to Cold Bay, which they say will save lives by allowing people to fly to a hospital even when the weather is bad. Road supporters are hopeful that Holland is sincere. We have to believe that she is, and that's, I guess, we agreed to work with her on it. That's King Cove Corporation CEO Della Trumbull, who has lobbied for the road for decades. Trumbull says Holland explained her decision to local leaders with emotion in her voice. It's personal for Holland. She's the first indigenous secretary of the interior, and the people of King Cove are primarily indigenous, too. 
Senator Lisa Murkowski has championed the project since her early days in Congress. She says she's not sure what to make of Holland's pledge to help King Cove get a road, which Murkowski says was delivered, quote, with a commitment and a resolve that I had not heard before, unquote. Still, the senator remains wary. The people of King Cove have been through so much and have been have been led down a road of false promises for far too long. This cannot be a false promise. The Interior Department says it intends to initiate an environmental analysis that will, among other things, reconsider the 2013 land exchange that Sally Jewell, an Interior Secretary in the Obama administration, rejected. The Alaska Wilderness League, one of the groups suing to block the Trump administration's land exchange, praised the announcement, as did other environmental groups. Reporting from Washington, I'm Liz Ruskin.